Okay, stop it. You're making me giggle. I might be peeing in my pants a little bit. You're making me laugh so damn much. A biker revolution. Is that what you're calling it? First of all, how can you lead a revolution when you don't even know what a biker is? You, Leo, or as I call you, Barney Five, and by the way, I believe that would be a great name for a Leo Motorcycle Club, the Mayberry LEMC. You know, the town that Barney Five lived in. I'm telling you, you do. You guys make me giggle. Before I get into tearing you guys a new one, uh, story correction, Michael Mikey Smash Morales, he was uh, named as a deceased in the Devil's Disciples video uh, where two were sentenced or were facing sentencing and it said he was an associate after more digging into it we found out that he was a Hell's Angels prospect so that correction there back to the Mayberry guys there is certain creators that our law enforcement, one's even an undercover that went in and busted everybody, that tries to give you advice on MCs. Now, I kind of find it funny, because I do bitch, I do moan, because I always say, what are you doing? Are you having identity crises or something like that? Are you not getting anything at home? Are you upset with us? What? You're always going around calling us, you know, vermin. We're vermin to the motorcycling world. You go around, give interviews that, hey, we're a traditional MC. You ain't traditional. What's wrong with you? You're a cop. Cops. MCs, traditional, does not go together. So your biker revolution's all your, it's already off on a bad start. Now, I know that you all hang around the Harley-Davidson dealerships, and the Harley-Davidson dealership employees are all up that keister of yours, and you get a lot of rubs, or as I like to call them, rubbers that look up to you Ooh, you're the you're the awesome biker oh can i join your club you can have them type of people okay take them away take those rubbers away we don't want them over here so you take them make yourself look even more like an ass because that's what you're doing you're looking like an ass but before you rubbers join them LEMCs, because I know there are some LEMCs that are taking civilians now. And they preach that one percenters are bad, these other motorcycle clubs are bad, they do nothing but do drugs. They murder people. I want to give you a look into the cop lifestyle and how hypocritical they really are before you think about joining that leo club hey hollywood's trying to do you a favor okay just take a look take a look police officer in prescott valley is on the other side of the law and facing several charges from an alleged domestic violence situation at his home this week officers were called to the home of sergeant michael morris around 1:45 in the afternoon on thursday 
The Yavapai County Sheriff's Office was reportedly then called to investigate what happened. Police are not giving any specifics about the situation. They only say that it was domestic violence and Morris was involved. Deputies returned to that home, though, around 6 p.m., and they put Morris under arrest. So he is now facing charges of domestic violence, disorderly conduct, and domestic violence criminal damage. Morris has been placed on administrative leave while Prescott Valley conducts an internal investigation. Shame, shame, shame going out there beating on people. What's wrong with you? Just because you have a badge, just because you can carry a gun, doesn't mean you go beat on people. That's nastiness. Isn't that something that you're always claiming everybody else is doing, by the way? I'm just wondering. I'm just asking for a cousin's friend's friend's cousin. I, I told them I'd get, you know, get to the bottom of this. Why you guys do that? Now, another one of your favorite things to do is to claim that MC members, especially one percenters, you know, those no good hooligans, are out there dealing drugs. So I want to make sure your prospective rubbers that want to join your club know that you never know when a cop is dealing drugs. Dirty business with cops and drugs. You know, we got this story out here. Uh, breaking, and this one is out of the San uh, AngeloLive.com. And it's by Matt Tremel. Breaking, former SAPD officer arrested by the Texas Rangers. I wonder if it was Chuck Norris that did it. I don't know. On felony charges. San Angelo, Texas, a former San Angelo, uh, Angela, or whatever, Angelo, whatever you want to call it, Angelo, who knows? I'm hooked on phonics. Police officer earlier this month was arrested. Listen to this, rubbers. After a grand jury indicted him on felony drug charges. Don't throw rocks at that glass house there, you little Leos, you little Barney Fives. Always doing it to us. According to the indictment on uh, the 9th of December 2022, Brian Butch James, 56, was indicted by a Tom Green Grand Jury for Possession of a Controlled Substance. I wonder. I wonder. Did you steal it? I'm just asking. Because that's where you guys get your drugs. You go over there. You pull somebody over. You take their stash. You make them, you know, cringe. You make them hype. And you go home and do the drugs. Not cool at all whatsoever. Anyway. He, uh, let's see, in the indictment, it alleges that in February 2021, he had been in possession of more than one gram, but less than four grams of oxycodone. He out there freaking, I guarantee he's either breaking them pills up because he's a freak and snorting them, or he out there selling them. Just saying. Uh, let's see here. When asked about the issue, uh, the Public De Information Department released this. He was arrested on the charge of possession of a controlled substance. In February of 2021, he resigned during an ongoing internal affairs investigation. Yeah, he out there taking that stuff, boy. 
I know these kind of cops, man. Chicago has them. It's, it happens all the time. And it was turned over to the Texas Rangers, which led to the issuance of a grand jury indictment. And they say, hey, go talk to the Texas Rangers, man. They have more information on what is going on with this. And again, I wonder if Chuck Norris was involved in this, man. You don't mess with Chuck Norris. I'm sorry, you don't mess with him. He'll karate chop you in the face and stuff like that. Or give you a good uh, kick to the knees. So, this is a warning. Don't believe all the hype. Don't believe that everybody's all bad that the cops label. Come on. They got their own issues, but they want to cover them up. They want to run PSYOPs campaigns against you. And I'm sorry, a lot of people buy into that craziness. They buy into the craziness that everybody who wears that club's patch is a criminal. But hey, come on over to us. We're law enforcement. We'll keep you safe from the big bad boogeyman. And you can ride. Join my biker revolution. But they don't even know. They're just motorcycle enthusiasts. You know, content matters, man. You know, not content, but context. It matters. And a lot of you people are stupid. Like I said, they make me giggle all the time. But they are. They're stupid. And you buy into that noise. And I think it should be my job, if I say I'm going to report on both sides of the story, not only on that one story, but also like I've done in the past, report a little bit on what Leo's doing. Because they're not freaking crispy clean there. They're not. And I think they're a little short in the drawers, if you know what I mean. That's why they get mad at us all the time. They probably get mad because we got better looking women. It's probably what it is. And they probably get mad because most traditional clubs I know do not let a woman wear a patch. But they do. I don't know, man. At that point in the time, you got to say to yourself, who's running that crew? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Anyway, what do you guys think, man, of this biker revolution? They even formed an alliance of law-abiding clubs, all made up of law enforcement, first responders. What are you doing, first responders? Why would you even want to get mixed up with them? And I'm talking about firefighter paramedics and stuff like that. What's you, what are you doing? You're making yourself look bad. You're not going to get any of the good puntang at the rallies, man. And you should blame yourselves for letting your bosses get you involved in that alliance of uh, law-abiding bikers. Crap. Anyway, we're not going to have a second segment today. A little under the weather. You'd hear it in my voice. But let me know in the comment sections what you all think about uh, this biker revolution. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Give me some sugar, baby. I thought I saw a pretty cat. Boom, 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 boom. The zombies are taking over. WMMRDB Rockford.
guest today. Uh, one I believe is going to be one of the best interviews that have been conducted on Motorcycle Madhouse. And that is Ace. And he is a former president of the High Spirits Motorcycle Club, which eventually became the West Side Chicago Outlaws. And he is also the former regional boss of the region. And this is just this is exciting for Motorcycle Madhouse to have somebody of his caliber on the show and to talk about how the old school was, how the 80s biker was, and just how different things have turned. And he's going to talk a little bit about the high spirits and all that stuff. How you doing, Ace? How's it going, bro? Oh, it's going great, man. I'm really, really excited about having you on the show today. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just an honor to have somebody of your caliber on that, especially when I was a snot-nosed kid and uh, first met you in the early 90s. To be able to have you on my show today is just awesome. <laughs> no, the honor's all mine. Man, well, you know, I let off the show, uh, you know, the 80s biker and the high spirits uh i have a you know a lot of people jab at me all the time on the show uh because i talk about how different it is today compared to the way i got to learn from you know the guys like you uh it's just way different today yeah i know it's a night and day i mean you think about the the things that we have now, like the internet and, and everything is so in your face now. Back then, it was really a, a close-knit society. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
It was. Uh, and one thing I am really proud to be able to talk about is the uh, high spirits. Because uh, the high spirits actually, you know, they were based back then. I believe it was Bensonville. So that was right down the road. And you guys, the reputation that you guys had, not only for the brotherhood, but the partying. Uh, and you really yeah. set the standard of what the West Side Outlaws, you know, would come to be. No, it, it was uh, it was definitely a, a fun time to be around. It we didn't have as, as much law enforcement that was crawling up our asses and dying, so it was a little bit more freer, and uh, was definitely good times back then for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, now, with the high spirits, uh, can you tell us a little bit about who they are and uh, when they came about? You know the time period they came out of. Sure, the the, the high spirits was the idea of a guy named Wizard. He was a, a, a decorated war hero in Vietnam, and he was a door gunner on a helicopter. And he was from Elk Grove. Uh, the high spirits were uh, most of us were from. Uh, either Displains, Mount Prospect, or Elk Grove. We did have a few members in Bensonville as well, so all around O'Hare Airport. But Wizard was a little bit older, and the guys he ran with was a little bit older, and he met a guy named Arm. And Arm was kind of like the de facto leader of a whole bunch of bikers that ran around that area. And the two met. And Wizard was starting his club, and they kind of melded together into one. And it was it was born in 1978 was when it all started, when it when whole thing kicked off, and the patches went on, and they went down the road. Wow! Now it was uh, an old-fashioned motorcycle club. Uh, you got to remember, Wizard is a product of the late 60s and early 70s, so the club was a like really formed them that kind of mantra. You know what I mean? It was old school, not uh, not like these new clubs. It was very hardcore, very old school. Mm -hmm. And he was the product of, like you said, he was a hero in Vietnam, and I believe the Vietnam era was that what made the, the, you know, the club and the biker lifestyle that it is today. Sure. And then, you know, most of the guys that followed ARM, which I was one of them, we all went to the same high school, and it was Forest View High School. So we go back to childhood, which it's a little bit different in, in today's culture. I don't think you would see that as much. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that, most people grew up together. Too. Yes, yes. And, and uh, brothers, uh, little brothers followed into the big brothers. That's how I, I came in. I was friends with Egghead, who was a longtime member of the club. And another guy, Brian, and both of their older brothers were officers in the club. And that's how we started hanging around when we were 16, believe it or not. Wow. <laughs> 16. That must have and that, been awesome. You know, think, about that to, think about that today. A 16-year-old's hanging out at biker parties. It just doesn't happen because of the laws and the trouble that people could get in giving a 16-year-old a beer. Right, right. Think about that alone, you know? Exactly. Man, that must have been an awesome teenage years. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it was it was exciting exciting and frightening at the same time. But they were, they looked out for us. 
I mean, don't get me wrong. We we got our share of getting roughed up, but in a in a brotherly way, like an older brother would do a younger brother. You know, we we got taught that way. But if anyone else messed with us, that would be a real bad mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Was the uh, high spirits mostly made up of vets? Um, well, wizard side of it, there was, was quite a few of them. If I remember right, there was a green beret or him. There was, there was a few, but, uh, his guys, yes, but us guys, we were all just guys that uh, grew up around O'Hare airport. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. The bulk of us that, uh, the bulk of us were all younger and a little bit wild at the time too. And on wizard and his guys in the beginning years, they you know, they kept things on a straight and narrow. I would, I would think, but uh, uh, you know, as time went on and they got a little older, and then we stepped up. You know, right? Exactly. Uh, they taught you guys the right way because you passed that on to everybody else. Uh, and well, that's your, you know, you have to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now the high spirits, they weren't, uh, you know, because you know there was uh, how I can say that propaganda out there. Uh, about the high spirits, and I can't believe that one uh, bit with the reputation that the spirits had. Well, that's coming from one guy that uh, has a real sour grape, and and that that's just lies, really. The, the high spirits was an extremely old school, tough motorcycle club. Mm-hmm. It didn't. Uh, it, it 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 wasn't like anything he said at all. I mean. Uh, I, I wouldn't <laughs> use the term family club about the icebergs. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially during that time period, you know, uh, the the 80s and 90s wasn't uh, the best time around in the Chicago area. Well, no, the, the, the it was instantly uh, a battle, to mm. be honest with you. I mean, it was a, a fight for survival the day they put the passes on. Mm-hmm. Now, you got to lead the Spirits uh, for two years, didn't you? Yes, I, I took over after after Abe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, uh, just for two years, and then we, we joined the AOA. Mm-hmm. And you're uh, the one that actually uh, initiated that one, uh, move? Uh, I don't know if I would say that. I, I would say that a, a natural bonding formed during that time, a, a brotherhood, uh, uh, due to circumstances that were what was happening, and it was more of a a natural thing that uh, we had decided that it was time for us to to step up and take our place, you know, in the in that world that was a lot larger than the world one that we were in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. But we were. Since the very beginning of the club, we were always tight with, with the outlaws, especially Greeks. He was always around for us, and he always uh, was good to us, and we always appreciated him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, during that time period and things that happened, uh, uh, that really pushed us in that direction to where we stepped up. Right. And we didn't want anything to happen to our brother, so... Mm-hmm. That's kind of how it happened. It was more of a natural thing. It wasn't. It wasn't uh, what people think, where you get taken over or something like this. It doesn't happen that way. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I already I always laugh about when people bring that kind of stuff up. Yeah, no, it just it doesn't happen that way, and you you don't you don't go into a, a club like like the LA uh, uh, like that. You you have to you have to earn it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the one things that I I always love talking to you and picking your brain is you know so much history of the AOA and that you know me and Dave Walters you know he does a lot of history stuff for us and we're like man the history that Ace knows it goes all the way back uh well it's fascinating it was fascinating to me you know uh, what I mean uh uh-huh. now uh can you talk about uh were the McCook outlaws, uh, how they move, did they actually move into the Chicago and all that type of stuff? Cause there's always been uh, that thing that, uh, McCook wasn't really the original crew or something. Maybe, you know, more about that. Oh, cool. no, they were definitely the original crew. They were racers. They were rowdy. Uh, they, uh, were, were a little bit less organized back then. The clubs, they all wear more uniforms and, and, and had flags and, stuff like this and the McCook the McCook Motorcycle Club, that's how it started. They were more ragtag and they were in the races and uh, they became the McCook Outlaws when the announcer for the AOA in Soldier Field uh, they were going to do a, a parade around the field after the races and everybody got on their bikes and they all had their flags and the McCook Motorcycle Club didn't have nothing so one of the girls took their bra off and they put it on a broomstick <laughs> and that was their flag and they rode around the track and the announcer commented look at them, they're nothing but a bunch of outlaws and born uh-huh. and yeah, but, we, uh, did ha- we were- did have racing in uh, Soldier Field back in the day yes, yes, that, that was definitely uh, you could trace the lineage right from there uh uh, what happened to, to a lot of those guys is World War II, mm-hmm. and they uh, they all went to war. And I, mean, I think pretty much the whole club did. And wow. when they came back, you know, most of the work was in the city, so mm-hmm. a lot of them moved into the city, and that's how it really started the, the Chicago part of it. Mm-hmm. But you could you could trace the lineage of the club right back to that McCook Motorcycle Club, no doubt about it. Oh, that's awesome. And you know what? The one thing that, you know, I really look up to with the AOA is they're, and I think it's been like this through history, is they're blue-collar working guys. Definitely. You know, I think that's what makes them different than most clubs. Always have been. Uh, It's always, uh, always been that way, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were inner city guys and guys that worked in factories or worked in the in the auto shops and you know this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them and went they, to war too for this country. Sure, you know you can actually trace the changes of the club from the wars and world, after World War II, the club got humongous mm-hmm. and there was a lot of changes after World War II because the guys were a lot of them were were soldiers and they learned a lot, and they organized, and the, the club got better and bigger. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, after Korea and Vietnam, the same thing, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Well, you can, yeah, you're right. You can actually see the history of the how the patch uh, changed and all that type of stuff. And it was tied to a lot of the wars. Uh, but talking about the blue-collar aspect, uh, is the high spirits were blue-collar guys, too, I'm assuming. Oh, big time. Uh, you know, we, we all grew up uh, in, around Elk Grove in Bensonville, which is the biggest industrial park in the world at the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we were all blue collar guys, mm-hmm. all of us. Sure. Now, what's some of the you know the funniest or you know the most intense parties that you had as a high spirit? Oh God, there were so many. <laughs> I mean, it, it, even pin it down to one. I mean, it's it, it was a lot of crazy times. Uh, I think if you if you look back, I'm sure uh, arm jump in the doorway on the spruce with a full bagger. That that had to be a oh, wow. uh, one of the top ones. He he took a, a press bagger with a, a, a cassette player, an A-track player in it, and they built a ramp in front of the bar, and the ramp was six foot tall, and he flew over the doorway. <laughs> and what's funny about it is when the bike hit the ground, everything flew off, but he didn't crash. <laughs> he pulled it together. And that was that was a good one. But I would also say that we we had an enormous party in Lake County in the eighties on an old farm, and I believe there must have been oh god, every club in the area was there, and there was thousands of people, and we called it Fish Lake Farm Fest, mm-hmm. and it was humongous. And it, back then, Lake County was like real rural, right. And I don't think nobody expected it. And, and people just kept coming and coming. It even freaked us out because we were running back and getting liquor and beer from all of the liquor stores all over the place. We bought out everybody. But that was another big one. But there were so many back then. I, you know, that's really what it was. I mean, a lot of it was, was you know, having parties and riding. A, a lot of times we would we would be mobile and we would be having parties everywhere we went. You know, we... We we followed the races, the high spirits. We were we were in Springfield every year uh, for the races, and then we would go up north. We had a campground uh, that was run by some people that we knew in. Uh, well, it was right near Prairie du Chien, Wisconsin, and we went up there every Labor Day. So, you know, it was it was just constant, constant riding, constant park, and, and like I said, you know, back then we didn't have. Uh, law enforcement crawling up our ass and dying like they do now you know it's a bike scene is a completely different animal nowadays oh yeah it is <laughs> we would pull into little towns in wisconsin and the the sheriff would wait at one end and they'd just roll us through without even stopping at stoplights they just wanted us out they didn't want us to stop <laughs> so i mean it was that's how it was you know it was it was a lot different back then. It really was a lot more fun too. I gotta tell you. <laughs> right? Did you guys' uh, spirits get to party with uh, Milwaukee AOA? Because uh, they're pretty legendary. Sure. Uh, we uh, uh, we went to uh, uh, Roger Lyons' uh, 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 memorial several times, and sure, we see guys from Milwaukee all the time. Man, Roger Lyons. That's uh, yeah. Whew. That's uh, still something that uh, is a controversy, uh, Lions. Sure. It's, it's just, 
evil what they did. I mean, they beat them to death in a in a in a paddy wagon. I mean, mm. but you know, the Milwaukee police have had a long history of of doing shit like that. Right. It's real sad what they did, and and it really. What was even even worse is Roger was a, a decorated war hero. He served in Vietnam. I mean, and and they did that to him, you know. Exactly. Nobody was ever held account uh, accountable, were they? No. Man, it's messed nope. up. What was your, uh, you know, as high spirits, what was your philosophy? Was it, uh, you know, I know most clubs want to just blow up and get all the numbers, but, I, you know, the way you talked about it earlier was it was family, you grew up, and that's the way a lot of the clubs were back then. You had to grow up with somebody to actually get in or get a prospect time, didn't you? Yeah, no, there, there was there was really never any emphasis on growing or, or that kind of thing. It was... Uh, it was more uh, uh, meet during the week to, to figure out what we we're going to do on the weekend and just roll the wheels off our bikes. Uh, never really took too much thought into that in the early days. It was just, uh, you know, emphasis on, on riding and having fun. I mean, back then, you know, you, you had a sleeping bag on the back of your bike and you'd pull into a campground and set everything up and break out the barrels of beer and sleep next to your bike and go home the next day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, it's not like today where they want to get into those campers and motel rooms. <laughs> no. No, we, we, you know, we were riding around on panheads and shovelheads. I mean. Oh, man. You know, so you, you, had, you had a good, you had a good bike. wrench with you then. <laughs> sure. I mean, you know, it was, uh, it was more, more, like you said, blue collar. I mean. It was there was none of that. I mean, there was like guys couldn't even afford hotels back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we we went we stayed at the campgrounds and we got kicked out of a bunch of them. <laughs> 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 they kicked us out of a, a campground in somewhere in Savannah. Back now, it cracks me up because nowadays Savannah's a big biker destination. Back then, they hated bikers mm-hmm. and. They, they threw us out, and we ended up going to the park in the middle of town, and we just sat there all night long and partied, and they were like, what are you doing? Like, well, we're drunk. What do you want us to do? They just <laughs> threw us out of the campground. Where are we supposed to go? You know? They, gave, they finally just gave up on us and hoped that we left the next morning, you know? Right. Yeah, Savannah Poopies but, is out there now. <laughs> Yeah, that, no, I always crack up about that because people always say, oh, Savannah's a great biker town. I'm like, yeah, I don't remember it being that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're too busy kicking us out and telling us to go to hell and stuff, but now they're a whole Yeah, different. well, see, nowadays they smell the money, you know, these little towns, they all smell the money. Back then, we were, you know, just above animals to them. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, man. You know, the high spirits, they made up what is now the West Side. And in my opinion, well, maybe I'm biased or whatever, but I believe the West Side guys are some of the best in the outlaw nation. Uh, you know, you led uh, the region. Uh, then you got pop, well, I call him pops, but Stevery's. You know, somebody, he's like godlike status to me because he taught me so much when, uh, you know, kids like us didn't have that kind of uh, instruction and they just took the sure. time, he took the time with us and 
one of the biggest things he taught me was, you know, always fight what you think is right, stand up for what you think is right. Uh, but some of the best uh, men came out of the high spirits. Uh, how does oh, that? Yeah. How did that... Was, Go ahead. Seaver was one of a kind. I mean, he when he came around, he he was a legend by himself in the swings. <laughs> <laughs> everybody everybody knew him before he even joined the club. Uh, you know, so yeah, awesome awesome people, and you know, God bless them guys for 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 still running, still running hard, and still. Uh, making all of us proud and, and, and running the streets. It's, it's, it's awesome to know that this thing is still going and them guys are, are still, still doing it. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. How does it make you feel knowing that the, the high spirits had such an impact on uh, the nation as a whole? Well, you know, it's, it, it's, it, you know, it's a proud feeling, but I don't think back then no one even thought like that, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, uh, it was uh, it was just true brotherhood, really. It uh, I never even thought like that. I mean, when when we got into the to the AOA, it just opened up so much for us. We we had so many places to go, and the, the, the from Chicago to Florida was wide open. I had some of the best times of my life traveling on my bike, running down the road. You know. Mm -hmm. Well, you did a lot when of we it. High spirits. When we were high spirits, we. You know, we would plot our own stuff. I mean, there was we were more limited. When you get into a club like the AOA, I mean, you got brothers all over, and there's so many cool things to do. It would take you a lifetime just to really experience all of it. You know. Mm -hmm. What was it like? Because uh, I actually got a picture of them on my wall. Uh, coming transitioning from High Spirits to AOA and being under a legend like Taco Bowman. Oh man, uh, it, it, the man was just to be in his presence. You knew you were around someone special. Mm -hmm. He almost could see things happening before they happened. He was that good. Wow! But he was just a, a, a blast to be around, and and we we had great times uh, uh, riding and, and partying and. You know what I mean? But mm. as a as a leader, he was just second to none. Right. I mean, everybody respected him. Everybody loved him. It was a very special time to be around, I will tell you that. Well, that that's when uh, the AOA expansion started happening worldwide was under Taco, wasn't it? Sure. You know, they, All of it, they yeah. just blew up under Taco. Uh, it, it, it was... It was a, a, a. I would think that it more came to us more than, more than the club looking for other people. I mean, people were knocking down his door. I mean, he had to be leery of all of it that was happening. I know some of it he was very careful about. You know, mm -hmm. we came in with the Australian brothers, oh, and wow. they were they were hanging around for years before. They were even even came come in, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So right, I don't, I don't, I don't think, you know, he. It's hard to say. I think it, it more the outlaws don't go out recruiting people. It just they just don't. Mm -hmm. uh, they you go you go to them, you know what I mean? Right. And you you have to you have to prove yourself to them. You don't. You you don't they they don't come to you. It doesn't work that way. You know what I mean? Well, I'm glad you said that because there's a lot of misconception out there about how clubs expand and stuff. 
No, that's just that's just the way it is. That's the that's the honest to God's truth. I mean, uh, you gotta you gotta want. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just how it works. And and only people say otherwise are people that were never in it. Right. Now, how was your transition? How was it uh, from being a high spirit and all of a sudden, you know, you did your perspective time and you had that Charlie on your back? Well, for us, it went pretty smooth because we were just like them, just small scale. Mm-hmm. So we didn't really have problems. We had fun. I mean, we were, we were run, running all over the country. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I mean, it, it was great. I mean, uh, uh, but that's that's how we were, though. We were tailor-made for, for them, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's just how we were. But we were already a hardcore kind of club, so it was not really a a, a, a big thing. You right. know what I mean? It was more of a, more of a you, you know, get to know everybody, uh, introducing yourselves and, and uh, traveling the country, which I enjoyed myself. Oh, man, there was everywhere you'd go. I remember the pumpkin parties as a piston. I loved the pumpkin party uh, out of Atlanta. Oh, yeah. uh, but, you know, the high spirits uh, had some, you know, the guys when I was a piston, you know, you had, of course, you, Stever, uh, then you had Wizard and Mountain. I love Mountain to death. Uh, he was, he's like the best to me. Uh, Mountain, but one of the things I always remembered and I knew uh, meant a lot to the chapter was uh, the memorial rides for the high spirit members. Sure. And yeah, that, that started that, uh, that, that started after Zeke died, and uh, uh, we went every year. And we would go and uh, and go to his grave and and remember all the the good times we had. You know, when you get that close to someone, it's the best way I could describe it. It's 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 even more intense than you know your your mother, brother, or your sister. It's you get that close. You know what I mean? Right. So when you lose somebody, it's it's very hard to deal with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, so we, uh, we we that... did that every year just to remember. Yeah. Well, that was, uh, I believe it was the Arcadia Cemetery, and then the one that uh, John Belushi's buried in him, if I'm uh, correct. Yeah, that's where Zeke's buried. Okay. Yeah, see, I still remember that to today, and that's one thing that I think the West Side excels at, is they make sure all their perspectives or other supporters know the history, where most clubs don't. Well, you got to know where you came from, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, that's something I believe that you guys excelled at. You know, you guys actually taught, uh, you know, I think I was, what, 20-something when I came. You taught us how to be men. And, you know, a lot nowadays, you, I feel sorry for the new guys because they don't get that. Yeah, well, we always, uh, you know, the, one of the things you had to be is a, is a man, and you, you had to be honorable, man of your word. Mm. You had to be there. You know that sort of thing. So that just went hand in hand, and that's that's something that uh, that was just part of us. I mean, you you weren't gonna you weren't gonna be a member of the high spirits if you weren't a man and you weren't honorable and and you weren't there all the time for your brothers. It just you wouldn't you wouldn't be in. You know. Right. Right. Uh, and that's yeah. part of the reason why we didn't get enormous either. You know, we were we were not a super huge club, but we were we were very tight and strong. You know. You had a real core that you knew that you wouldn't have to worry about, uh, and they would always be there. 
Oh, yeah. No, you never even had to think twice about that. Well, the moniker or uh, the, uh, how can I say it, uh, the saying within AOA is biking and brotherhood. And <laughs> it's true with the AOA. And, you know, doing this job and being in it, uh, I get to talk to all kinds of clubs, and there's nobody that even comes close in my mind anyway. Uh, maybe I'm biased or whatever, but uh, you can actually feel it when you're around Charlie. Of course, yep. And, it's always been that way, too. And, you know, you know, a lot of people get nervous going around big clubs and stuff. You never felt that way around AOA. It was always welcoming at, uh, you know, the best parties I went to, of course, was Pumpkin. But the South Side party, man, the South Side was, uh, that was the thing, uh, you know, uh, sweet home. Uh, you always felt com- you always felt comfortable, and you know the well, the breakout runs at the West Side, uh, everything. I have so many fond memories as a high spirit. Even before I was I was a, a boss, our clubhouse was on uh, Harlem Avenue and Roosevelt Road, and, and we would go to the Sweet Home Chicago, and we'd get on two ninety and just open up our bikes all the way. All the way to Western Avenue, <laughs> and this goes back to before you know was on when it was on Roosevelt Road, uh-huh. and it was always great times. And most of the all of the clubs in Chicago would be there that were about anything, and we were all friends. Mm-hmm. You know, the bulk of us, we were, we were all friends. We were friends with the high spirits. We're very good friends with the wheelmen. Oh yeah, Which that Wilman was North Side. That was Skid. Boy, do I remember Skid. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I remember Skid when he joined the Wheelman. <laughs> oh wow, that's way back. <laughs> well, and the Wheelman, yeah, they were I mean, some yeah. tough. Uh, they were tough bastards too, man. The Wheelman oh, were no yeah. joke. <laughs> the high spirits and the Wheelman were were very close. That's why this thing was a very natural fit. We used to go on runs with the Wheelman. The Wheelman had a piece of property up north somewhere where they would have a party on, I think Labor Day, if I'm not mistaken, but it's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And we used to go up there and camp with them guys and just, we would just party all day and all night. <laughs> you know, then we'd get on our bikes and it would always be raining coming home from Wisconsin. <laughs> over, fighting those storms, waiting to see the Illinois line, you know? Right. <laughs> One of the biggest memories I have of uh, Skid was the first time I walked into that Northside uh, clubhouse and they had the rattlesnakes sitting in the cage. They had a rattlesnake sitting yeah. there. Yeah, I didn't like that. I'm a snake guy. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I seen my first cottonmouth the other day swimming in the river, and that freaked me out. But, uh, yeah, that, that, that rattlesnake was something else. I was like, hell no. <laughs> Yeah. And they knew how to party too, yeah. man. Skid did. Yeah, the, the wheelman had them freaking rattlesnakes, and then the Fugawi tribe had a freaking alligator. <laughs> the Fugawis—they had some yeah. kick-ass parties too. Yeah, they had an alligator, and and I, I thought they were both nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't decide to get any alligators or rattlesnakes over at the west side when you took over. <laughs> Listen, we we tried to get a dog once, and we couldn't even take care of that. And then when we and we did have it, the thing turned so vicious it was like a lion. And <laughs> 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 he eventually went home with one of the brothers, but uh, 
Uh, yeah, no, we weren't good. We weren't good with animals. Right. We, we, we were animals ourselves, and that was plenty to handle. Right. Well, you guys were. I don't know, man. I think you guys were the partiers out of Chicago. <laughs> you guys know well, how to party. <laughs> we were young back then, dude. I mean, we were we were at our peak. You know, we were young men, and we were just having the time of our lives. You know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I really liked about when uh, you were running the region is Chicago was so tight with all the clubs. All the clubs were always together, you know, parties, everything. Uh, how, sure. did, how did you get all the clubs so tight? Where I they- can't take credit for that. That's, that's all grease lightning. Grease? Okay. Uh, you know, when I came, when I came in, 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 in all, all I did was kind of like, put it kind of back together, you know, mm-hmm. but that Greece had that going on for, for years and years and years. Everybody loved them. Everybody, everybody would, would come and party. But uh, like for the high spirits, the outlaws were like father figures to us. They were, they were older. They've been around. They, they, they had much more skill and knowledge. We were a bunch of nuts. You know what I mean? <laughs> we were young and, and, uh, you know, we learned a lot from them. They were like big brothers to us, you know, and they were always there for us, you know, always, mm-hmm. even in, in the early days. And in the early days, Wheelman and the, and the Outlaws and, and the Fagali were the only ones we really knew, you know? Right, right. That, yeah. But it was like that for years, dude. It was like that. I mean, I'm going all the way back to the mid-'80s. It was like that. And, and it was probably like that long before that even, you know? Right. Well, then you had, uh, well, what was so great is, you know, you had the Chicago and then you had Milwaukee. It must have been great as a high spirit being well party with them both. You know, just hearing the legends we that fun. happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. You didn't want to be on the other side of that coin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't want Charlie Bennett at your ass. <laughs> you, know, you know what was cool? about the club is they at least for me and and for my knowledge and and when i was around i never felt you know threatened by them or nothing they were always like a big brother you know Mm -hmm. they'd see us we we were at bubba's honda drop once and we got into a big scuffle i i caught I, i caught some guy crawling in the weeds with a camera and our old ladies were going to, to pee out there in the weeds and he was taking pictures of them and oh man and he got he got tuned up and some of Milwaukee's guys came down and said, hey, you guys need to you need to stop that shit. <laughs> I was getting nervous. Like, no problem. <laughs> right. Well you know one thing you, you bring up the big brother aspect and there's a thing, you know, the media and the damn cops that always put out about support clubs that cannot be the furthest from the truth. You know, when I was a nah, piston, when I was a piston, the AOA, well, father figures, there's guys like me and stuff like that, but not once were we asked to do anything wrong, not nothing. We were accepted just like everybody else. And if I think... The reason why the BP grew as much as they did, it was because of uh, guys like you, Steve, or uh, Mount and Wizard. That that kind of leadership and that way, that guidance is what got everybody so big with the BPs. 
Well, you have to understand that the club is built on a framework of brotherhood. The the, the media and, and the law enforcement are they, it's the last thing that they want anyone to hear. You know, they they lie about that constantly. I mean, it's it's not about making money. It's not about none of that crap. It's all about brotherhood. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's it, and that's how it works. You know, and if you want to be around that and you want to prove yourself to men like that, you know, they will slowly start to accept you. But you know, it takes a while. Right, know? right, exactly. Uh, but when they do accept you, it's 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 golden. It's a great feeling. You know, till this day. Uh, I'm real close with Neon. Uh, we, you know, people know him from our show that we've done a benefit for him. But I'm real tight with him and uh, uh, his family, and it's you know, it, it's more than brother. We're family. That's how I use my best friend in the world. And uh, you know, I remember meeting Neon back uh, at Skids at the North Side, and you know, ever since then, it's been a, a close feeling. And that's one thing that uh, the guys of the AOA make people feel like once you're accepted is, hey, you're family. You know, you need something, let us know. Oh, yeah, no. If you fuck up, we're going to kick Man, you in the ass. Not. He traveled with me a lot. I, I've got nothing but good things to say about that man, you know. Mm. That's the, the caliber of, of people that you get, you know, in, in the club. Right, you know? right. And, and it, you know, it, it, it's hard, especially – you know, people get older, and, and the health issues that he's had, that's from a lifetime uh, of being on the road and stuff. You know what I mean? And, and Right. It starts know, wearing I, on I, I hope the best for him. I hope he pulls through all of his medical stuff. He knows I, I love him to death. Mm, right. And, you know, that's one thing. Even when people leave the club, you know, it's not like, well, screw you and all that stuff. You, they still give a shit about you you just still call upon them and you know and i think that's what really makes it different you know maybe it's just you know i i know for sure the west side north side south side are like that i don't know how the other chapters around the country are no it's much bigger it's much bigger than that it's it's like i said it's it's all about the brotherhood that moniker biking and brotherhood that that goes back a long way and it really encapsulates what it's all about really Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's a it's a life on motorcycles with with uh, uh, running the highways and 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 having fun with your brothers. I mean, that's really all they want to do, and and you know, that's a it's a great life. You know, mm. and well, you know, how does it make you feel when Leo and the media portray the club as? And you know what? It's not like that at all. The way they go out there well, and do their pisses me pass. off, you know. And it, it, and then, you know, I try to tell everyone that I come in contact with, especially family and stuff like that, that they're just not telling the truth. And I'll tell you uh, one thing too: is nowadays with with the uh, cell phones and all that, you know, people are starting to see that they're not the most honest people. Mm-hmm. The law enforcement, they're they can be just as bad as any street gang in some places. Right. You know, right. they, they, I, I, they deal drugs. They do everything that, that everyone else does, except for a lot of them, you know, they get away with it. Mm-hmm. But, Cause they got that 10 bag, you know, it's all about money too. It's all about money. Mm-hmm. We are job security for them. You right. know what I mean? Right. 
they go they go in front of panels and they and they take all these pictures and they say, boy, these guys are, you know, look at them, they're animals, they're dangerous, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. We need money, you know. We gotta we gotta look, we gotta watch these guys. We need money. We need more money, more money. You see, that's that's how it all works. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially what? with motorcycle clubs. Oh yeah. What advice would you give to, say, somebody like me who does this show who's out there trying to fight for motorcycle club rights and all that kind of stuff? Which path should we uh, take to really get the public uh, on our side? Win hearts and minds, as I always say. Shine a light on it every time. When, they're, when, when they get caught doing something wrong, shine a light on it. Um, I can remember... A lot of things that happened back in the day that was really underhanded, entrapment, and there was no way to get our message out mm-hmm. at all. None of the newspapers would talk to us or listen to us. No, no one would inter- interview us. You know what I mean? Now you have outlets like yours, and I hope they use them and get their stories out because the only way things are going to change is you put the light on it. You know what I mean? Shine a light on it. Right. That's the best thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Now, what did you think about everything that went ha- happened down in Waco? Because that's one of the biggest subjects that we covered is how law enforcement, uh, you know, handled that, the uh, trials. And uh, finally, they released everybody because they knew they didn't have the evidence against uh, the thing. And believe- I think it was a setup from the start because they had the cops there from the morning until everything went down. Uh, how do you? What was your take on that? Well, you would probably know more about that than me. But my take on it is, it's another example of the modern age, how you can, you know, you can use media and put the spotlight on all the crooked things that they did. That's how that case got thrown out. Mm. I mean, back in the old days, that would never happen. That would have went forward. You know, we had Tommy yeah, Witherspoon uh, covering that at the Waco Tribune, and yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, they wouldn't even they they won't even cover it. You maybe get one article about the sentencing, and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. You wouldn't get any of that coverage. That, that that's the best thing to do is to is to just keep keep trying to inform the public so that you can't let them get away with that stuff. You know what I mean? Right. Twenty years ago, twenty years ago, that all that shit would have been swept underneath the rug and they would have got away with it and people would have went to prison that is sad you know what right i mean there. yeah well you know today marks uh the 75th anniversary of uh d-day and i don't want to keep taking up your time but uh this is something i am is important uh because you were actually in the service too, and uh, your young one is too. And we got to thank him. That is, I think it's the best when kids get into the service and serve the country. But you got to serve too. Uh, how was your time in the military, and how do you think uh, it's going now in this environment? Well, I I can tell you, back in my day, the military was kind of messed up. You know, mm. it was uh, no one was staying in. Everybody would do, you know, three or four years and go home. They had a hell of a retention problem. And nowadays, they take a lot better care of the soldiers. I I went to my son's unit, and it was amazing to me. I mean, how nice it was. And and I would tell them, you know, what what our barracks was like. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it, it seems like they're taking better care of the soldiers nowadays. 
you know. And uh, uh, back in my day, it, it was it was kind of tough, you know. And, and we weren't making nothing. I think I made six hundred dollars a month. Oh wow! And I was, and that was at at my height when I was a uh, an E four promotable, which was uh, all I had to do was re reenlist, and I would have made sergeant. But I I went home. It was it was just no money. I mean. Mm. I couldn't afford anything. I mean, how how could you live on six hundred bucks a month? But that's what they were paying us back then, right? You know, now my kid, he's making, he's making real good money. You know, what was your so biggest? I, I think they. What was your biggest fear about it? You know, because my son's talking about it all the time now. He's sixteen. He wants to go into uh, either the navy or the army. What was your biggest fear about your son going in? Oh God, war! Of course. I mean, I wanted him. To go to college, my son, unlike me, was a straight A student. Mm-hmm. You know, his mother was a straight A student too, and, and but you know, he had every door open to him. But he had watched a lot of friends that had older brothers and sisters that went to four years of college. You couldn't find a job. Wow! So he didn't want to take out a student loan, and he he's a jet engine repairman. He's a Holy on a cow. helicopter, so he's got a really good job. So, uh, but you know, like anyone, I mean, any parent doesn't want to see their kid go to war, you know. I mean, right now, do you think uh, you know the way the political environment is right now? Uh, personally, I think he's doing a hell of a job. You know, he's making America, you know, stand out in the world like it used to be. You know, be proud to be an American. But a lot of you got these uh, people on the left, and I don't know what political spectrum you follow. I'm just getting your, uh, you know, your viewpoint. But they actually are sure. embracing socialism. That I would never have heard that during the '80s. No, and and I'm, I grew up under Reagan, and uh, when I was a soldier, we were taught the scourge of communism. I mean, that's what we were fighting. I. I served, and I, I did a, a a thing called Reforger. It was a mock war, and uh, we were sent to Germany, and we we ran all the way up to the Berlin Wall. You know, so I grew up around that, and and I, I am shocked as an American that American citizens openly say that they're socialists. I mean, it's 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 so anti-American to me that I can't even tell you. You mm-hmm. know. Well, you bring up the Berlin Wall. <laughs> you bring up the Berlin Wall. Most of these kids don't even know what it was, but you're right. During the 80s, you know, I talk about it sometimes. We were always worried about missiles flying. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, we had, after the, after Reforger was a 45-day mission, and then we were there for another week, and uh, uh, our gunnery sergeant took us right up to the Berlin Wall and we went right up there to the sentries, and you look right down the scope at them East German soldiers staring right back at you. I mean, it was real back then. Mm-hmm. You know, it was and only now, a couple clicks I mean, the nuclear war back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then now I, I, I hear you know congressmen and congresswomen openly saying, "What's wrong with socialism?" I'm like, have, "Have you seen the scourge of socialism? I mean, have you seen what it's done over the years? I mean, who in the hell would want that?" 
Right. You know? Well, except those that are rich <laughs> and in power. <laughs> well, yeah, so that's what they always said, you know, socialist is, is good, good for the socialist and not the people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, what do you, you know, what's your thoughts on the 75th uh, anniversary of uh, D-Day? That's just, it, it's, it's really, it's amazing what they did. Mm-hmm. And God bless them rangers that, that scaled that wall. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. It just makes you so proud to be an American, to, to see what, they, what those men did and, and how young they were and, and how many of them were cut down in a single afternoon, you know? Right. It's just awe-inspiring to to be an American with with that. My my uncle Marty, uh, he wasn't at D Day, but uh, he fought at the Battle of the Bulge, and he told me all about it. And you know what them guys did back then. I mean, that was really good versus evil. You know, exactly, really exactly. Uh, they didn't have no technology back then. It must have been miserable at the Battle of the Bulge. Oh yeah. Now he said they got in a train on a train from the Western Front, and then they were drunk, all of them, and and as they were sobering up, they were getting closer and closer to the line, and then he said it was like hell on earth. Mm-hmm. You know, it was not a, it was not a, a an easy battle. It was it was hard fought. You know, right. And God bless all them, all them soldiers, all you know, Americans, British, you know, all of them that fought that great war. You know. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, what's sad is a lot of them won't be around to see the 80th uh, anniversary because uh, most of them are pushing 100 now. Yeah. So yeah. you better so shake true. their hand. Uh, but one final question before we uh, end up, uh, you know, because you were uh, a president with uh, the high spirit and a boss. What advice would you give to these people that just want to go out there and start clubs now? Because that's been a big problem wow. within the scene. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how I don't know how you would begin to even uh, and you know go about that. It, it's such a different world now. You know, back in back in my day when I started riding a Harley, just riding a Harley alone meant you were a bad guy. You know, right. People look down at you just for riding a Harley. You were like, oh God, you know, here, here this guy. You know, but uh, now it's it's become some kind of almost like a fashion statement. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one of one of one of the, the the president before me, Abe, in the high spirits, he lives with me here in Arizona, and it just drives him psycho. Every time he sees a new one, and it's the you know plumbers union, and then this and that, and the next thing, and it's like, my God, <laughs> you know. But, it's a free country, I guess, you know? Right. It just, it, it just seems like you guys like us, it, 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 we see our culture that's slipping away. <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, that's awesome, too, man. You got Abe. That's with, That's just a testament to the, the strong brotherhood that uh, started off with the high spirits that eventually became there's, the West Side. Yeah, there's, there's, there's five of us here, and we're... We're all up in age and have uh, uh, problems, and the and the, the warm desert air really it, it does wonders for you. Right. <laughs> well, at least you guys ain't in the Walker stage yet, man. We're on the porch. Not yet. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure when that happens, we'll be figuring out a way to strap them on our bikes. Right. You know what? One thing surprises me about you, and I was like in awe. I was like, how the hell did that happen? You got an Indian. 
<laughs> well, sure. Well, I, I got to be honest with you. I mean, I, I've had my 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 problems with Harley over the years. Uh, you know, guys like me have kept them afloat. Uh, you, you're damn they, right. When they started, you know, uh, uh, getting good and making bikes, I mean, they turned our backs on us uh, really hard. I remember a lot of us would turn us uh, Harley Davidson stickers upside down on our bikes just to protest the way they were treating the old timers and I remember and that. Stuff and, and, and and a lot of us would would buy a brand new bike or pull the Harley stickers right off, you know, mm-hmm. and and ordain it with our club stuff, you know. But the uh, uh, they weren't very friendly to to us, you know. Right. So kind of always had a chip on my shoulder about that, and you know. But I'm an American, and all I I will not ride any other vehicle or drive any other vehicle that's not American. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. I, I, I strictly will buy American. So when when the Indians came out, I was very very interested in it, and I'm also a gearhead. And you know, the Harley uses very old technology. The flywheels and the vibration that comes off them is just kind of asinine in a, in a modern day. So I was really paying attention what Indian did, and and uh, uh, they have you know crankshaft. It's a real modern and. I took one out for a test drive, and I really liked it. And I was on my way to Sturgis in 16, and I blew a head gasket on uh, on my bike. And I just said, fuck it, I'm going to trade it in. And they lowballed me so bad at the Rapid City Harley dealer. It just pissed me off. And then they wanted... 26000 for a new street bike. Holy cow. And the next day I got up and, and I hosed my bike off. I told the fellas I'd, I'd meet up with them. And I went over to the Indian dealer and they gave me a very fair price for the bike. And the Indian was almost $4,000 cheaper than the Harley. And then they gave me $1,500 off for being a veteran. You know, it was just a, a real good deal. And uh, I figured... What the hell? It's all American-made? I'm going to try this thing out. Mm -hmm. And on my way home, you know, 1,350 miles to get home, I was like, wow, this thing's badass. (laughs) How's it ride compared to the Harley? Night and day. Uh, One of the things uh, that uh, that bothered me about my uh, 06 street ride is several times... I got some high-speed wobbles, bad wobbles, uh, and they call that the death wobble. Right. And I've experienced it several times, but I don't ride like a normal person. I ride really fast, you know? Mm, right. And But that's no excuse. I shouldn't do that, you know? Right. So exactly. <laughs> you get on an Indian, and it's at 120 miles an hour. It's, it's smooth as can be. There's no vibration, you know. To be honest with you, Indian has more in common with a Honda Goldwing than it does a Harley, the way they're made. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, other than that, I mean, they got a traditional engine. It's a, you know, V-twin, air-cooled, and, and that sort of thing, and it sounds amazing. But, you know, other than that, it's it's uh, uh, it's just a, a modern, well, well-put-together motorcycle. And I'll tell you another thing. Everything that I've changed and tore into the bike, it was really easy to do. It's like I was saying to myself, boy, I'd love to shake the engineer's hand that did this, because I can't tell you how many times 
I would be working on my Harley and go, well, that's fucking stupid. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how many people have done that, right? Right. Do, do you so, think uh, Indian uh, is really, uh, I think they're doing fed. I think they're taking over everything from Harley, be, you know, the dirt track I racing and everything. But you think uh, it's because Polaris is backing them? Well, yeah, because Polaris has, has deep pockets. I mean, Polaris is the second biggest motorcycle company in the United States. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're they're a natural competitor for Harley. I mean, uh, they've got everything you need. I mean, they're they're mass-producing American motorcycles. That hasn't happened since the 40s. Uh, 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 Harley hasn't had competition. Right. You know? Right. And Harley's and, going and downhill you, right now. <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you another thing. Uh um, I was uh, I was asked to sit in on one of these uh, meetings from Polaris when they were working on this this new fixed bearing bike they had. I knew about it last year. They're going to be in real trouble when this thing comes out because it, this thing's going to be an animal. It's, it's. I don't know if you're aware of the new the new one that's coming out. Yeah, it's uh how it's the uh, built is uh totally different and totally modern compared to what anything Harley's throwing out that they consider modern. Yeah, well, it's it's in the same platform as my bike. It's got the same frame and stuff, and it's going to have the same bag and all that. But the motor is is going to just be a monster. And I predict this right here on your show. This is going to be a bike that motorcycle clubs are going to flock to because. It's just going to have balls to the wall power. I mean, this thing, this thing is 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 what was left of the old Victory motor, mm-hmm. completely redone, and it's got overhead cams, and it's just the thing is just going to be sick. Right. Well, you I know mean, what? A lot of a lot with 120 horsepower stock. <laughs> Holy cow! A lot of you people know? complain that uh, Polaris discontinued uh, the Victory line, but I thought it was a smart move to move everything into the Indian. Sure it was. Sure it was. And I'll tell you that I've, I've got to be good friends with the owner of uh, Scottsdale Indian, and he told me that it w- he would sell nine or ten Indians to one Victory. People just weren't buying them. They were ugly, you know? Oh, that they were. were they were technology friendly. They were fantastic motors. I mean, you can't knock them. I mean, Victories were good bikes, but most of us, me included, thought they were ugly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Their biggest downfall, right? You know, especially their now, early ninety nines. Man, what those V ninety two Cs with the trans problems? Man, those were uglier than shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, they were a new company back then, but uh, you know, I think now. I mean, I, they're. No, look out! I, I, Harley better be working on an all-new motor that's modern, or they're going to be in trouble. Because this this new motor that they're coming out with is just going to kick ass. Rock you and roll, man! You got it here on the show. Uh, any last words, uh, Ace? Yeah, I'd like to uh, uh, just thank the, the the crew on the west side for for continuing this thing that was started so long ago and, and it makes us proud to know that everything is still there and still running hard. It, it, it really is. So, no, that it is. And, you know, rock and roll, man. Well, I appreciate you having you on the show, man. This was like the best interview that the show's had. And, 
you know, again, it was uh, an experience for me uh, being in so young and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, working this show and stuff and having you on board and uh, talking to you about uh, the way the high spirits were, you know, the way the biker lifestyle to me was supposed to be uh, and the way you guys just, you know, the tradition that you guys passed on to everybody. Right on, brother. Right on. Awesome, man. Well, I thank you for uh, becoming on, uh, Ace, and uh, look forward to uh, some of the good stories with that India, man. If you get, are you going to be training uh, your old one for the new one? Uh, not right away. No, <laughs> I, I, I like to, I like to, to let it run for a year or so because. I don't like to keep my bike stock. Like right now, I've, I've, my, my Indian is all beefed up. I got Andrew's cams in it, and I've got a bunch of work to it, and it, it screams. Most Harleys cannot touch me. And so I, I imagine it's going to take a year or two for the aftermarket companies to start coming out with the uh, cams and pipes and stuff for the for the new, new bike, you know what I mean? So right. I'll probably sit on the sideline for a year or so until some cool stuff starts coming out and then I'll take a look at it. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, cool, man. Uh, appreciate you having you on. And coming up after the commercial break, we're going to be having Dom on. We're going to be talking about some long-distant riding and maybe setting the Guinness Books of World Records for long-distant riding. Uh, I bet you're having fun out there, Ace, with uh, just the open roads compared to Chicago. <laughs> Oh, it's night and day, man. It's night and day. I just wish my body was a little bit more stronger. I, I, I'd ride morning, noon, and night. <laughs> Rock on. Awesome, man. Well, appreciate having you on, and uh, I'll talk to you later.
We hear it all the time, don't we? Stay away from Harley Davidson. Don't buy a Harley Davidson. If you buy a Harley Davidson, you're going to be sorry for it. Harley Davidsons are nothing but overpriced junk that old people are supposed to be riding. Yeah, we have the prices out there. We, we, you know what? Those who love Harley Davidsons cannot even try to defend the company when they put out a lowest price that they have is this new monstrosity of a Sportster for $15,000. We have to say to ourselves, how are you going to get the younger riders with the prices like that? So those are valid arguments. Very valid arguments. But here are some of the reasons why I think you should buy a Harley-Davidson. And after this, we're going to talk about the naysayers. It's no secret, there is not only one model of Harley-Davidson motorcycle. If you're looking for a basic cruiser that's ready to hit the urban scene, check out the street motorcycles. Or, if you're looking for an option with all the comforts to keep you feeling good during an extended road trip, the Touring models are a perfect option. Lastly, for those who are wanting extra stability for their ride, the Trike motorcycle models are the best option for you. And there is durability that you can expect from a Harley-Davidson. If you invest in a motorcycle, while you oftentimes want to buy a bike based on its looks, you want to make sure to buy more so off the engine specifications. After all, you're spending a lot of money having an unreliable engine, but a good-looking bike doesn't help you stay riding throughout the season. Harley-Davidson takes care of that. They do have a decent service department, and especially if you get the extended warranties if you're getting the used models that they usually stand behind it. Some might say, well, Harley-Davidson's, they leak oil. Well, those are the times past. Uh, that problem really hasn't been around since the shovel heads and all the old good stuff when you had to have tools. Now, Harley-Davidson might not have kept up that good with all the technology from its competitors, but it's doing a lot better job. And when it comes to Harley-Davidson's, they really do last forever if you know what you're doing, you keep up with the maintenance, you do your teardowns, all that good stuff. When it comes to buying motorcycles, there's no way that you can replace them every few months. That means you want to buy a, from a brand that promises and continually delivers both performance and longevity. Harley-Davidson motorcycles are made to last. They're assembled here in the United States. They have great updates to the engines. And they're durable. Take them out on the road. You have to ask yourself, would you want to be on a Harley-Davidson Tour motorcycle? Or would you want to be on one of its competitors, less CC and non-reliable? Gotta ask yourself that. And especially if you're going on long trips... They're countrywide. They're service support. We've all had that one moment when you, a dealer told you, sorry, the parts you need aren't available here, and just shrugged off as you stared at your motorcycle helplessly when you're broke down. With Harley-Davidson, you won't have to worry about unavailability or a lack of part production. 
since there are plenty of Harley-Davidson service dealerships throughout the greater United States, there's no reason to be stuck without the part you're looking for. And let's talk about the ease of maintenance. It isn't exactly a shocker, but when it comes to maintaining motorcycles, it often feels like you're selling your soul to keep them working for a longer time. With Harley-Davidson, this weight of constant maintenance is lifted as they were very straightforward in the maintenance that is needed. If you have the correct parts, tools, and a little bit of time, you will be able to keep your motorcycle busting down the streets and not stuck in your garage trying to figure out the issue. Now, it wasn't always this way, I have to admit. Again, you had the AMF years, all that good stuff, and they weren't that reliable back then. But now, Harley-Davidson has really upped its game. And taking care of most things yourself will also help keep your wallet uh, from bleeding every couple of months. And the accessories. Oh, come on. What other manufacturer has the accessory availability that Harley-Davidson has? You know, who doesn't love to sport their bike with an eye-catching accessories? And for motorcycle lovers... Their bike is something they invest greatly in and enjoy riding around during the beautiful riding season. Of course, if you're in uh, northern Illinois, it ain't so beautiful all year round. That's why I'm kind of jealous of the southern riders and the western riders. Moreover, with the addition of new accessories and modifications, they can also improve performance and increase the longevity of various aspects of the bike. And let's talk about the culture of Harley-Davidson. It's a culture unlike any other that the manufacturers, their competitors, can offer. Whenever you talk to a passionate Harley-Davidson fan, it may sound like they're always hanging with their motorcycle friends on the weekends or going on long-distance rides. And this largely happens because of the community that has been built between Harley-Davidson riders. When you buy a Harley-Davidson motorcycle, you're now invited to join the community riders. They got the Harley's Owners Group, they got AMA, they got motorcycle clubs, everything that you can be a part of. And it's great that you have people that are like-minded like you that can enjoy their motorcycles. They revolve around that Harley-Davidson motorcycle. And then you have the history of Harley-Davidson. Come on, Harley-Davidson won World War II in my eyes. When you purchase the Harley-Davidson motorcycle, you're entering into a long heritage of motorcycle history. Dating back to 1903, come on! When William Harley, alongside his childhood friend Arthur Davidson and his older brother Walter, got together to fabricate five Harley-Davidsons, and by 1905, three out of five were sold, and then the process began. You know, it's real easy to fall for those naysayers that say, Hey, don't buy a Harley-Davidson motorcycle. But can they give you the same lifestyle? Can they give you the same name brand? Can they give you the same ride from the other manufacturers? Interesting, isn't it? Hopefully I made some good points in the reasons why you want to buy a Harley-Davidson. I own two. 2015 Lowrider, 98 Glide, because I love them Evos. But the price point, people can understand. But they also have to understand it's an investment. 
Our Harley Davidson, it, you really don't depreciate that much. You can usually resell it for around what you got it for, not including finance loans, all that kind of stuff. But they do hold their value compared to the other manufacturers out there. But I can see why somebody 25 years old can't afford the product. It's more of a luxury item than anything. So I get it, price point. But at the same time, what are you getting for that price point? Like I said, they got a national dealership, nationwide dealership. Wherever you're going, there's going to be a dealer somewhere around. If you get into some kind of trouble, you're going to have one right near you. And you really can't say that for the other manufacturers. Take Indian, one of Harley's biggest competitors now. They're all the rage. They don't have the dealer network that Harley-Davidson has. And if you get in trouble, it's going to be a while before you find a Har uh, an Indian dealership. Let's just be honest about that. As far as technology, yes, they're way behind on technology compared to what other motor motorcycle manufacturers are doing out there. But they're trying. They are. They're trying. They're trying to catch up on all the goodie bags. Me, come on, I, when I got the 98 a couple months ago, I was like, man, that's a radio. Because I never used to use one. But we do know that Generation uh, Z, Millennials, they're into their electronics. So Harley-Davidson has to step up that game in order to catch them. Reliability, like I said earlier, a lot of people think about Harley-Davidson as they leak oil, they're unreliable. Those are days gone past. It's really not like that anymore. And if, and if it is, you're not taking care of your motorcycle. Because you rarely see a Harley-Davidson leak oil and market its spot like it used to. But they do have valid points, but I don't think their points are valid enough to go and say, hey, stay away from Harley-Davidson. Don't buy one. The, the, the arguments aren't there. Even if it was the prices, you still can go buy used. You don't have to go buy brand new. I'm never going to buy brand new. Never going to happen in your lifetime. I'm always going to go for the used motorcycle. Yes, get an extended warranty if I can. Get something that has a little insurance with it. But I'll never go new. So I wonder if the argument is... Hey, I won't buy a Harley because the prices are too high, meaning new, or would you be open to buying a used Harley-Davidson? These are some good questions. What do you think? What do you think about the naysayers that say, hey, don't buy a Harley-Davidson because X, Y, and Z? Let me know in the comments section. Don't forget, every Monday and Thursday, we're on 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Rock on.